Hey everyone, and welcome to the Homefulness Podcast, a conversation dedicated to making home in our multifaceted culture of displacement. I'm your host, Andrew Stevens-Rennie. Research continues to make it clear that emergency food support has no long-term impact on levels of food insecurity. None. It doesn't change the game. It doesn't fix the problem. If anything, it perpetuates the system. A broken system marked by homelessness, hunger, poverty, exclusion. In a strange twist of events, today's episode features my own reflections on food insecurity and homefulness. I get to share the story of transformation and the food programs at Vancouver's Christchurch Cathedral, and to enter into the question of why, as churches, we often stop at arm's length charity, rather than going further upstream to seek justice with our neighbors. In November of 2016, at the conclusion of a year-long citywide consultation process, the Vancouver Summit gathered a broad spectrum of Christian leaders from across the region. On the summit's first morning, keynote speaker and then city councilor Andrea Reimer said to the assembled crowd, I want you churches to put us on notice that you're not going to offer charitable food any longer. As you might imagine, the room sat in stunned amazement and rapt attention as she told us in no uncertain terms that the continued existence of charitable food was an indictment of our city, an indication that we were not as spectacular as the tourist brochures made us out to be, and that the church should be telling the city and the politicians elected to govern that we would no longer put up with a community that claims to be for everyone, for human flourishing, for the common good, when economic chasms and fissures continue to swallow more and more of our neighbors. We should not stand for a city, she seemed to be saying, that was perfectly willing to cast more and more people to the place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Her indictment was real and her invitation was honest to faith leaders from across the city and the region. And it's a moment that I've returned to many times since in my memory. Councillor Reimer's challenge came at just the right time. It came while we were working to re-envision the Mondi, the food ministries at Vancouver's Christchurch Cathedral, right in the downtown on two uh, SkyTrain lines across from luxury hotels and retailers. Influenced by the biblical prophets, by eco and liberation theologians, ministry leaders, and food security practitioners, we have sought to nurture a space of proximity and relationship amongst guests, volunteers, and staff. And all of this in service of discerning together how we might best respond to people's needs. The transformation of this program over the course of uh, several years is documented in part in my chapter in A Sort of Homecoming entitled Revillaging the City, How One Congregation Transformed Its Charitable Food Ministry to an Agent of Shalom. And that essay captures a moment of t- in time in the early days of 2019, well before the onset of a global pandemic, when we could actually gather around a table to share a meal. That essay talks about the ways in which we had sought to reduce the distance between guests, volunteers, and staff. 
And now that public health protocols require us to double that distance, we find ourselves rethinking everything all the while grounded in a sense that we can no longer follow the typical path of arm's length charity or two arm's length charity, I suppose, as the pandemic has made uh, important practiced by so many churches. In this and in so many ways, the pandemic has caused us to continually rethink our practices and the ways in which we participate in the charitable food system. As we have seen the number of food insecure individuals in the city of Vancouver grow from 60,000 to at least 90,000 people um, from pre-pandemic to uh, just May of 2020, and that number continues to increase, the cathedral has sought to respond to the needs that are being revealed in this apocalyptic moment. The solutions to this problem, of course, are not merely individual, getting food into the hands of hungry people. They are also systemic and relational. How might we create a world in which all people have enough to afford life's necessities, including but not limited to food and shelter and clothes and medication and so on? I think the pandemic in many corners of the world and certainly in Vancouver has revealed how broken the current system is. In Vancouver, a city already plagued by income inequality, a city where the distribution of wealth is far from equitable and where many are precariously housed, there remains both a need for emergency food distribution and a need to move further and further upstream to address systemic issues leading to poverty and therefore hunger. And so with that as background, a few questions arise. Enmeshed as we are in the life of the city, why is it that so many of our churches stop at arm's length charity? And how might we respond to the challenge of tackling the systemic work, the work of putting city councils and provincial governments on notice that we are no longer going to cover up the failures of the system that they oversee on our behalf? There are reasons we avoid this heavy lifting, I think. First, because it's confusing and complicated. But also charitable food work gives many of us meaning as volunteers, as people who participate in these programs. It feels as though we are helping in some way. Our programs appear to be lifelines for the people who come. And we perceive our food programs as immediate good news for those in need of a meal or some groceries. The thing about it is though, that research continues to make it clear that emergency food support has no long-term impact on levels of food insecurity, none. It doesn't change the game, it doesn't fix the problem. If anything, it perpetuates the system. A broken system marked by homelessness, hunger, poverty, exclusion, and so on. Indeed, as noted in a 2003 paper published by the United Nations uh, Food and Agricultural Organization, the most important factor in food security is sufficient income to meet expenses. This requires not just that households have enough money for food, but for all living expenses. In a city like Vancouver, the difference between income and cost of living is particularly acute. The pandemic has made this problem worse. The growing disparity between Vancouver's richest and poorest re re residents is documented in many places, of course, but particularly in the research of David Lay and Nicholas Lynch. And we are seeing similar patterns across the country in urban, suburban, and rural communities too. Maybe you're seeing that in your community. 
It's all intertwined. But if we're going to tackle this wicked problem, we have to remember that it's not primarily about food. And this is a problem if we think that our food programs are on their own going to fix the problem of food access. In his address to the Maple Leaf Center for Action on Food Security's Food Security Symposium, Paul Taylor, who is the executive director of Food Share Toronto, makes this clear when he says, our food and political systems aren't broken. They are working the way they were designed to. According to Taylor, the poverty we see isn't an aberration, but rather the result of our current political system in which colonialism, patriarchy, white supremacy, and racism all shape who gets to eat. They shape where we live, who gets to work, and who gets to lead the solution finding to these wicked problems. This, the truth of this statement has been brought to the fore over the last year as white folks have started to pay attention as if for the first time to the growing anti-Black, anti-Asian, anti-Indigenous racism that has been present in our communities and in many of our churches from the beginning. Symptomatic of this embedded racism is the way the charitable food system relies on one person's crumbs to fill another person's plate, recalling the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 that Sylvia reminded us of earlier. Elsewhere, Taylor writes, the first food bank opened in Canada in 1981, and since then our governments uh, have allowed people to think that the solution to income inequality is other people's leftovers. Now it's trying to convince people that the solution is carrots with two legs or misshapen potatoes. We should definitely find ways to use that stuff, but it's not a solution to food insecurity. Food insecurity is primarily about having enough income to buy the food that you need. At a high level, this argument might lead to the exploration of a universal livable income, but that's a different topic for another time. At the community level and in the context of faith communities using food as a means of fostering homefulness, what can we do in the face of the current economic system that privileges some and pushes others to the margins? And how might we respond to those who call us out on motivations and ideas of how best to help when it doesn't match what people actually need? So a few months into the pandemic, the leaders of the cathedral's food program started receiving some pretty clear feedback from many of the people that we continued serving through our adapted cafe to go meal program. Over the previous few years, we had developed solid relationships with many of the guests and made ourselves open to regular feedback. Many were grateful that we were still open, that we were still able to provide high quality takeaway meals under the circumstances. As the months wore on, we began to see increasing numbers of people we hadn't previously gotten to know through our sit-down meals. Seniors, newcomers to Canada, folks who were housed, but precariously so. They too were grateful for the meals that, and the way in which it sort of smoothed things out for them. But what they really missed was the ability to prepare fresh ingredients for meals that they could prepare in their own homes. With the pandemic hitting many households economically, uh, they were less able to afford the fresh fruits and vegetables that they needed. And so as we got to know these neighbors better, these ones that were new to us that we hadn't yet gotten to know, we started to hear the same refrain from a growing number of people. 
would it be possible to get fresh produce? The prices in the stores were too expensive now uh, as people had lost jobs and so forth. And so having heard the same question enough times from different people, we reached out to a local food distributor to investigate options. In talking to the distributor, we found a way to order food directly at prices below retail. In conversation with guests and with other community organizations in the neighborhood, we began a bulk buy club, a, co a cooperative of sorts. We would collect orders, have the food delivered to the church, divide it into bags for members of the club, and then distribute it alongside our takeaway meals one day per month. March was the first time that the Bulk Buy Club distributed fresh fruits and vegetables. Each member of this cooperative venture received four oranges, four apples, three avocados, six potatoes, six tomatoes, a head of romaine, a head of kale, a celery, a cucumber, three onions, two broccoli, and an acorn squash, all for the remarkably good price of $15. It was a lot of food and it created another problem. How were people to, going to get all of this food home? A few weeks later, people were still talking about how hard it was to eat their way through all of the vegetables that they had received for 15 bucks. And so we continue to adapt the program to scale it for various size of households, a $5 bag, a $10 bag, and so on. And it's just one story. And it's, it's a good one. It's a good one of a, a community responding to the needs as people talked about what it was that they actually needed, not just takeaway meals, but the raw ingredients to have a sense of dignity and agency in what they were doing. There's a lot that this initiative cannot do. It cannot increase people's incomes, which is important. It cannot change the basic conditions of the system that perpetuates poverty for some and wealth for others. But what it can do is this, in relying on cooperation amongst households, in relying on relationships and conversation, in pooling resources and in using the church building as a community hub, money is going further. And at the same time, better meeting people's nutritional needs. This is important in a year like this one where the average family of four in Canada is expected to spend an additional $700 this year on groceries. From the beginning of this program, the cathedral's new food and hospitality coordinator, Vien Chan has said this, we know that the problem of hunger won't be solved by more charitable food. What we really need to do is to question and replace the economic models that lead to the ever increasing income inequality that so many of our neighbors are experiencing. And that's gonna require work not just by individuals or congregations, but by broad-based coalitions of people committed to working towards a care-filled society. In the interim, and while we work on these challenges, the Bulk Buying Club offers one opportunity to work with our neighbors to ensure that more people have enough of what they need. It's simple. I think that's important. It's replicable in churches and communities across our city, uh, across the province and across the country. And it's one step further upstream. It doesn't solve the whole problem because the problem requires a whole fundamental rejigging of our economy. But it does offer one way of understanding that our lives are bound up with one another. It offers one way of building community over a shared meal or over shared food. 
and not just food that is prepared, packaged, and handed to you, take it or leave it. Food that is selected and distributed so that you can make something delightful and share the recipe with others. So as the cathedral moves forward in exploring this model, we continue to contend with Councillor Reimer's uh, challenge that she put out to us back in 2016. What do we need to do to put the city, to put the province, to put this country on notice that we aren't going to offer charitable food anymore? And to do that, we need to continue to call a beloved community together that will continue to work towards a world in which each person has enough and in which all people one day, and with God's help, know that they are enough. Friends, I can't tell you how grateful I am for your interest in this podcast. Thanks for sharing it and leaving those reviews. They sure do go a long way to helping others find us. As I've been thinking about this lately, it seems to me that the church has an increasingly important role to play in addressing issues of homefulness in our communities. We have this opportunity to come alongside our neighbors, alongside folks doing this deep anti-poverty work, to learn and to join in the struggle examining what gifts we might also have to offer. At times this work will be challenging as we stand up in the face of unjust structures, to advocate for a better way, a way for our neighbors to thrive. We'll explore this more in future episodes, but for now, just know that I'm grateful to be on this journey with you. The Homefulness Podcast was developed by Empire Remixed in partnership with the Sorrento Center, co-hosts of the National Beyond Housing to Homefulness Symposium in Spring 2021.